Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. As always, I'm your host, Aaron White. Thought I'd catch you up a little bit on what I've been doing before we get into the reviews for this episode. Real quickly, I have been spending some time watching movies most nights for the Seattle International Film Festival. I'm excited to share some thoughts on some of these films with you here very soon in some episodes. We're not allowed to put out what they call full reviews for most of these until the films actually are releasing, unlike some other film festivals. And so I'll be doing a bunch of movies kind of all together because I can only say little bits about each of them. But I do want to give them some time, let you know which ones are worth being on your radar, or if you're here in Seattle, which ones are worth picking up tickets to go see. So be on the lookout for that here pretty soon. I've also been distracted because I, on a whim, got the desire to rewatch Game of Thrones. I started one night, and over the course of my first weekend, I went through two and a half seasons. I just could not Stop. Now, I've never rewatched the show before. I've watched each and every season as it aired. And I think maybe the first two or three seasons, I might have rewatched season one before season two came out and so forth, but only the first season or two. After that, I didn't do any rewatches prior to the new seasons coming out. So, this is the first time I've ever really done a full series rewatch. And Having some time now away from the intense discourse around season eight, this has been a phenomenal experience. I am sucked right back into the world and already knowing where character arcs are going to end up going on the show, that is, it's really intriguing to watch them develop and to look at the decisions that characters are making early on the little decisions, not necessarily the big bombastic moments that everybody remembers easily because they stood out on screen, but just the quiet moments and the pieces of dialogue that you're like, oh, wow, there's a ton of foreshadowing that I am picking up on little things. Like, for example, the first time we ever meet Tywin Lannister, he is just casually skinning a stag and there's no camera drawn to it there's no there's no arrows like you would get kind of in a marvel movie right where easter eggs are like oh pay attention to this detail but once you realize what is going on between the lannisters and the baratheons and the baratheons sigil is the stag and it's basically like tywin lannister is skinning stripping the power from this stag which he's about to do when his son takes over being the king after Robert is killed, spoilers for season one, sorry. Uh, anyway, I, it's really, really cool. Lots of stuff like that. I also am really picking up on a lot of Danny decisions that make it hard for me to think it's weird when she eventually does the heel turn that she does in season eight. I know a lot of people were up in arms about that. And, you know, they really wanted her character to end up in a different place and had some concerns thinking that maybe they hadn't properly built her up to make the choice that she ends up making. 
I don't necessarily think that's true. I think we have seen sprinkled in throughout the show in all of these seasons. I'm somewhere at the end around of season three at this point, maybe maybe even moving on to season four. I'm recording this episode a little early, so I could be there by now. But I think that we have had the seeds planted that she was capable of such an act. And it's not nearly as surprising to me in hindsight going back through the show. So anyway, just lots of great character interactions that it's awesome to witness again. And it's just amazing to me how rewatchable the show is. Even knowing what's going to happen in the main progression of the plot, even knowing how the characters are going to develop and how their relationships are going to come and go. It's just as captivating the second time around for me. So I highly recommend it. If you still are loving the show or maybe, you know, it's time to give it another chance and work your way back up to season seven and eight and see if you feel a little bit better about them. It's it's possible. I'm, I haven't gotten there, so I don't know how I'm going to take them this time, but I'm hopeful. Well, our first review for this episode is Sanctuary from Neon. This stars Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott. It is directed by Zachary Wiggin, written by Micah Bloomberg. Cinematography is by Ludovica Isidori, and music is by Ariel Marks. It runs 96 minutes and is rated R for sexual content and language. What's it about? The heir to a hotel empire and the dominatrix who has primed him for success battle it out in a hotel room as he tries to end their relationship. I love this movie. <laughs> I really, really love this movie. I felt very stagnated in a way ever since attending Sundance earlier this year. In Sundance, I saw a number of movies that are still among my absolute favorites of the year and nothing had come close yet to the experiences I had at Sundance until Sanctuary. This is a single location drama, somewhat of a thriller between two super sexy people who are playing psychotic, manipulative mind games with each other and it rules. There is a terrific script behind this. We meet Margaret Qualley's character, Rebecca, as she comes into the hotel room of this man named Hal. She is role-playing as a lawyer, and she is conducting this lengthy interview, asking him detailed questions about alcohol and drug use and his sexual history. He's becoming very rattled, he's frustrated, and eventually he tells her, stick to the script. And that is when we kind of learn, oh, this man is a client and this woman is performing a role. And from there, it begins to take us on this very tight hour and a half little journey of what is kind of like a love story and a rom-com. It, it actually has quite a bit of humor built into this, but not in the way that you're typically used to humor. The script is so smart, it is so biting, and we really get to see what a relationship between two consenting adults who have their own individual reasons for wanting to do this could be like. It is 
not all sexual. That's one thing I really want to point out. It's hot, it's fiery, it's steamy, and there is tons of chemistry going on between these two people. But there's no nudity in this movie at all, which is crazy to me because it's marketing, I guess just the poster alone. We are conditioned to think about this in terms of an erotic thriller. And, oh, it's a dominatrix. So clearly you're going to see those things happening. Now, there are some sexual acts that take place. They're just not shown to us in vivid detail. I mean, you're definitely aware of what's happening. But I thought that that was an enhancement for this story in particular. Keeps the characters a little bit at a distance from us. They're a little bit out of our reach. And I, for one was completely swept away, had my breath taken away by Margaret Qualley. Uh, she is phenomenal in this. I was equally as terrified of her character, Rebecca, as I was turned on by her character. Uh, she is just on another level as an actress, as a performer. She nails this role. She goes through all sorts of range uh, from someone who is caring and understanding to someone who begins to blackmail this man and when he is trying to say he's done and from there I don't want to spoil it for you but the way that the story progresses it just escalates and escalates until they are dealing with betrayals of trust and all sorts of deeply strange manipulations that are happening between the two of them and it's just a lot of fun, and it's really crazy. It's made all the better through the use of some fantastic camera work. There's all sorts of zooming and panning and flipping upside down and the usage of fades going on, and it really gives the whole movie a flair that I think helps to convey the mental state of our characters, and also it just makes... The fact that we're in this single location setting a lot more interesting. I mean, you're in a hotel room. It's like the central sort of meeting area that is there. There's a bedroom and there's a bathroom. And that's pretty much it is we spend most of our time in those three areas. There's a couple of brief scenes in the hallway in the elevator, but they don't last very long. And so I thought that this is just overall really, really tightly edited and well put together. It's backed by this awesome string heavy score that oscillates between evoking a very eerie mood and then also a very sexy mood. Sometimes it's symphonic, sometimes it's jazzy. It's really just a perfect companion to what we see happening. This is all about those mind games. You never quite are 100% sure whether someone is acting performing in their given role of this relationship or whether they are dead serious and the way that it builds up especially for the character of Hal played by Christopher Abbott and the way that it gives us a look into a broken man and a man who is deeply concerned with whether or not he is going to be able to live up to the expectations of his father, this hotel magnate that he is going to be taking over for, it's really powerful stuff. It really is. And, and it makes you respect the methods that 
are going on, or at least question whether you should respect the methods, because if they work and they achieve desired results, does it really matter how people live their lives and how they want to act when they're in the privacy of their own home around each other? I just thought it was super fascinating, super respectful to the idea of a dominatrix and that sort of relationship. And as I mentioned, I think that Margaret Qualley is just so convincingly phenomenal in this role and so just mind-blowingly devious, but also the kind of person that would have me as putty in her hands. I think that she drives this whole thing, but Abbott is really up to task as her partner in this stage play-esque exploration the script everything everything's firing on all cylinders this is a fantastic fantastic movie sanctuary it's going to be in theaters in la and new york beginning on may 19th and then from there it's going to expand on june the 2nd so keep an eye out look for when this comes to theaters near you and by all means this is the kind of adult drama thriller that we don't get a lot of in theaters these days Neon, A24, these are the companies that are typically putting these out. Go support this if you can in a theater. Vote with your dollar. I'm just saying I recommend this strongly. I think that it's going to make a great pairing with a movie that I saw at Sundance that got picked up by Netflix called Fair Play, which is an erotic thriller. That's coming out later this year, hopefully. And I'm really excited about watching them together on a night and just totally immersing myself in this kind of crazy uh, relationships between two adults and the ways in which they experience some levels of violence and some levels of pleasure with each other and, and how that all works out. So anyway, that's Sanctuary. Definitely recommend. All right. The other review I have for this episode is Fast X or Fast 10. It's kind of interchangeable, in my opinion, from Universal Pictures. It stars Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Jason Momoa, Jason Statham, John Cena, Jordana Brewster, Natalie Emanuel, Sung Kang, Brie Larson, Alan Richson, Daniela Melchior, Scott Eastwood, Helen Mirren, Charlize Theron, Rita Marino, and more. It is directed by Louis Leterrier. And it is written by Dan Mazu and Justin Lin. Cinematography is by Stephen F. Winden. Music is by Brian Tyler. It runs 141 minutes and is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of violence and action, language, and suggestive material. What's it about? Dom Toretto and his family are targeted by the vengeful son of drug kingpin Hernan Reyes. Some of the critics and I were chatting before the movie, and I hypothesized that F9 might just be the peak of silliness for the franchise. They did go to space, after all. And that with the remaining two movies, or three movies, depending on if you want to believe Vin Diesel's slip of the tongue during the press days in Rome, I thought that maybe they would slowly start to reel it back in and ground the series finale with more of the realistic and heartfelt sentiment that got us attached to these characters in the first place. Well, folks, I was, I was very 
very wrong. <laughs> Fast X is absolutely unhinged. This is full-on Expendables meets the Avengers Zone now. It's pure superhero action comedy, with the latter feeling more prominent than ever. Every character interaction is either entirely about the jokes or is shot in such an intentionally melodramatic way that you're laughing at how unbelievable the emotional beats it's trying to hit are. The action set pieces are crazy. Not a single thing that happens feels remotely believable. And the script has given up on even slightly making it realistic by explaining things. A buddy of mine here in Seattle walked out of the theater saying it felt like it was entirely written and directed by AI. A common criticism of movies these days, it feels like. But honestly, it really could have been. Ever since Fate of the Furious, it seemed like they were trying to balance leaning into this superhero genre while keeping it just ever so slightly tied to reality. But this film abandons that entirely. It honestly feels like kids playing with their toys wrote this movie. It is pure fantasy now, where the writers just thought up the most bombastic things that they can come up with and then had it all poorly CGI'd. I'm sure that they squealed with delight at seeing their imaginations come to life. And there are moments where I got that feeling from it, despite how insane everything that happens in this movie is. The crowd and myself laughed pretty frequently. A lot of the times we're laughing at the movie. Because just like in Fast 9, this is self-aware. They've reached the point where they want you to do that. They're inviting you to make fun of it as you watch it. It's a very weird place for a movie series to have evolved into. But judging from the reaction in my theater, and honestly the natural reaction that was coming out of me, I guess it kind of works. You just have to go into it with that understanding, or you're not going to have any fun at all. As for the plot, it's a typical revenge story. The film opens with a new perspective on the famous Fast Five vault heist, speeding through it again and introducing someone from the crew's past who will come back to haunt them. That's Jason Momoa as Dante, and he is a complete maniac. The actions of the Fast family over the years have resulted in plenty of carnage and made them many enemies. Now they are about to reap what they have sowed. His performance alone is honestly worth the price of admission because he is just hamming it up nonstop while raining down chaos upon Toretto, his family, and everyone that has ever interacted with them or helped them along the way. It's a mesmerizing, over-the-top villain that, again, no longer even attempts to be taken remotely seriously, but is simply there to entertain us. In a sense, he's this franchise's Thanos, and will likely have his influence felt for the remainder of the series. To enjoy this film, you need to embrace the insanity. You want to get nuts? Momoa is here to get nuts. Other new additions... Don't really get enough screen time to make a big mark, but I enjoyed both Brie Larson and Alan Richson. I think that there is potential for even more wild shenanigans from them in the future. I at least hope there is. 
more of that. It's tough to really develop them, of course, because the roster of heroes or characters, whatever, is so huge now that giving each one something interesting to do and any sort of arc is almost impossible. But whatever, they're all entertaining to some extent, and the chosen groupings mostly worked well for me. Though, unfortunately, in Letty's case, I really felt that her particular scenario that she finds herself in was the weakest. She kind of got the short end of the stick, which is interesting in a way because this film is more of a direct sequel to Fast Five than anything else. And Fast Five is the one movie that Michelle Rodriguez wasn't in at all. So, yeah, take that for what you will. I guess anything tied to Fast Five just isn't going to give us her best. And really, that's just because the crew gets split up is what happens here. Tej and Roman still, as always, bring the best comedy. I absolutely have always adored their relationship, and that's no different here. Surprisingly for me, it was John Cena as Jacob and Leo Abello Perry as Little B, that's Brian, Dom's son, who had the most genuinely emotional connection and enjoyable relationship in the film. There was a really fun chemistry between them, and Cena gets to lean into his comedic chops instead of just being the muscle head. I like him a lot more this way, personally. Over the course of the film, a lot of stuff happens, cars are raced. Stuff explodes a lot, and there are even some questionable deaths. Since everyone and their mother seems to come back in this universe, we can never really know for sure, but this definitely feels to me like we're in the Infinity War slash Endgame of this franchise now, and it is barreling towards a conclusion where it's not unlikely that all of Mi Familia will make it out alive. And it's barreling toward a conclusion where it's unlikely that Mi Familia will all make it out alive. There are a couple of shockers, one in the final scene and one in the mid-credits, so be sure to stay for those. Even if you've been spoiled, the mid-credits scene got a hearty laugh out of the audience because of a certain line delivery. 10 of 10, highly recommend. Now, when looking at the film as a whole, you're either going to like the loud, ridiculous, so bad it's hilarious place that the series finds itself in now and enjoy the forgettable but fun ride or you hate this kind of dumb action movie and will be rolling your eyes for two and a half hours. There's probably not a lot of in-between, to be honest. I can't give this entry very high marks on quality because while it achieves its intended tonal goal, in my opinion, everything looks distractingly fake. The editing is atrocious at times, giving you no sense of place. The aforementioned poor CGI is completely unacceptable for a movie that cost $350 million to make. This was the eighth most expensive movie ever. And even with understanding how silly it would be, I was left craving just a few more serious emotional beats. But to my surprise, I had a good time with it. I let go of what FNF once was and just let Momoa's psychotic antagonist sweep me away. And I had a really enjoyable time with a really bad movie. <laughs> so good luck, everyone. I wish you the best with your experience. And I hope that you also have an entertaining one like I did. Fast X or Fast 10. Again, not really sure which one we're supposed to go with here, what the consensus is. 
will be available in theaters on May 19th. Please let me know what you think about this one. I say that every week, pretty much about everything I review, but I am dead serious. Come find me on social media. You can find my social media handles in the show notes of each and every episode, but let me know what you thought about this movie. I am very much going to be looking forward to hearing from just anyone and everyone uh, all across the spectrum. Those who really, really loved it. Those who could not stand it and despised it. I think it's going to be a fascinating discourse and I'm looking forward to discussing this movie more in depth with Patrick in our next full episode as well. Patrick may very well hate this movie. I'm just putting this out there right now in advance. It could be an interesting episode because I don't know if we're going to be on the same page, but we'll find out. So be sure to tune in for that coming soon. I'll be back. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filled.